As we open up God's Word this morning, this time those kids in elementary school are invited to go with Mr. David and other children's ministry leaders to our children's worship time down in the children's worship space. And just encourage you moms and dads, you're certainly not required to take advantage of this opportunity at all whatsoever, but given the sensitive subject nature of today's text and message, I perhaps would encourage you a little more strongly than usual to take advantage of this opportunity today. Now today we turn to a tough text, a biblical story that contains violence and sexual assault, a story that ought to make us weep. It's a story that for many of us may recall trauma in our own lives or in the lives of those that we love. And so I want you, church, I want you to feel the freedom this morning to to move about. I want you to feel the freedom even today, even during this time, over the remainder of our service, even to get up and step out of this room if need be. I feel the freedom to get up and move if this subject matter in any way at all conjures up anger or hurt or pain in your own heart. And I want you to know this morning that there's a team of folks that are in the lobby today that are part of our Caring Well team, mostly ladies, primarily ladies, out in the lobby available to listen to you, pray for you, and serve you in any way whatsoever. But today we're joining, as previously announced, we're joining sister churches in our own denomination through a Caring Well initiative among Southern Baptist churches, which is a unified call to confront the abuse crisis. And there is perhaps no better place to turn in God's word to do so than Second Samuel chapter 13. And so I invite you to open up the scriptures with me today to that book, Second Samuel chapter 13. Second Samuel, as you would probably imagine or know, well, no, comes after First Samuel, after Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, Second Samuel, be in Second Samuel chapter 13. And I'll just go ahead and say this is not a preacher's favorite text to preach from. It's not a teacher's favorite text to teach from. This is like not the passage you choose if you're going to preach somewhere in view of a call. It's like not the passage you choose if you're going to be a guest preacher or teacher at a conference or in another place, but nevertheless, it's in the Word of God, and so we are called to dive into it, and we want to hear what God has to say to us through it. And so as you find your place there in Second Samuel chapter 13, uh, I want to invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. And I'll just go ahead and say it's a long text, and so don't lock your knees, like, right? If you need to sit down, go ahead and sit down. That's Fine, but let's honor the Lord. Let's reverence our God by hearing his word. Let's hear his word. Second Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, 
I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Verse 5, go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. And she took the pan and served him the bread. But he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Verse 21, When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Would you pause with me in prayer? Oh God, we need you. We need you to lead and to speak clearly. Father, we need you to guide us by the presence and power of your spirit. Instruct us in what it is that you want us to know and guide us and what it is that you want us to feel and do. Lord, help us to, to know and honor you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Friends, this, this story is, is all too common. Different names, different places, different circumstances, but the same abuse 
The same predation, the same sort of violation enacted upon the vulnerable again and again in our day. And we cannot, we must not turn a blind eye. Experts consistently suggest roughly one in four women and one in six men. One in four women and one in six men are sexually abused at some point in their lifetime. Church, that's roughly 20%. One in five people who are made in the image of the Almighty God and incredibly precious to the very heart of God are sexually abused or violated in our day. And many of them never tell a soul. Now I know we don't, we don't like talking about this stuff. It's uncomfortable, right? But if there is a place and a space to talk about the hard stuff, right? To talk about injustice and to exercise compassion, then it best be in the company of the redeemed, those who know the compassionate heart of the Father and the perfectly just King of all kings. Just let's, let's consider for a moment. Word of God. Let's consider what happens here. Amnon, the eldest son of the king, the eldest son of King David, desires his half-sister, Tamar, but he's unable to have her. As a virgin princess, she's carefully protected in the king's palace until marriage. Furthermore, according to the law, Amnon couldn't marry his half-sister anyway, but his obsession with her is all-consuming. And he heeds the shrewd guidance of his cousin, Jonadab, who obviously believes the heir to the throne should get whatever it is that he wants. And so together they develop a twisted plot full of lies to fool both King David and Tamar in order to get Amnon alone with the vulnerable Tamar. They're suspecting nothing. Tamar fully cooperates serving her sick brother as instructed. Left in a place of vulnerability, she does what she's supposed to do. She trusts her family. But her family quickly proves to be untrustworthy. In church, far too often in the world in which we live, this is the case as those nearest and dearest betray the trust that is naturally given to them. Sexual abuse is a betrayal of trust. It's a betrayal of trust. There's a betrayal of trust when one pretends to be something or someone they're not. Amnon pretended to be ill, the text says, verse 6. The text begins by suggesting that this Amnon fell in love with Tamar, but this is not love. What's love? Love puts others before self. Love is sacrificial. Love doesn't take For oneself first, love gives. It's focused on serving, serving the other. What we read about here, this is not love. Far from it. This is lust. This is infatuation. This is obsession. This is complete dishonesty, utter deception, predation, and manipulation. And in the broader context of the Bible, in the broader context of God's Word in the broader context of this particular book in the Word, Second Samuel, this horrific story unfolds very clearly on the hills of David's similar escapade 
with Bathsheba. Many parallels. Many similarities. David sees. David lusts. David wants. David plots. David abuses his position and power to please himself. Like father, like son. Amnon's request here is a somewhat unusual request, right? I mean, the royal family has plenty of folks to serve them, whether they're well or whether they're ill. In fact, we're told very clearly in verse 17 that he has a personal servant, but nevertheless, he asks for Tamar, and King David listens to his beloved son, immediately granting his request. Verse 7, David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Leave the palace. Tamar, leave this place of protection. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. He's sick. The betrayal is palpable. It's at this moment, right, that as readers, listeners of this particular story, we wish we could just slip into the pages of the Bible. We wish we could go back in time, traveling into this story and shouting, Tamar, don't go. Don't listen. It's a trap. Run for help. But she goes. Verse 8. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough. She kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. She goes. Just as she was told. She goes, wearing the robe of the princess, clearly marking her as a daughter of the king. And still so, she assumes the position of servant, sacrificially serving one who's supposed to love her, who's supposed to protect her, but who instead manipulates and violently takes advantage of her. Sexual abuse is a betrayal of trust, and it's undeniably wicked in God's eyes. Sexual abuse is undeniably wicked in God's eyes. And Tamar knows this. She's aware of this frantic but firm. She responds quickly in verse 12. No, my brother, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done, not just in our family, but in all of Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. According to one commentator, one by one, her short sentences bespeak her terror. And notice, church, that in this story, Tamar and only Tamar responds rightly to this grievous injustice and sin. In desperation, she makes her final plea, urging Amnon to appeal to their father, King David, to, to, to marry her, certainly wanting to avoid the shame that this would bring upon the both of them, but also surely believing their father Surely believing King David, surely believing the Lord's anointed king of his people would come to her rescue. But in this moment, Amnon couldn't care less what Tamar said. He couldn't care less what David said. And he couldn't care less what God had said. Clearly only concerned with himself. He forced himself upon her. He raped her. Literally, the text says he forced her and laid with her. And it was and is wicked in God's eyes. And church, let's be honest. We live in 
a society that markets immorality and fosters abuse. And yet we're shocked when we hear stories of sexual harassment, abuse, pornography, prostitution, and human trafficking. Friends, pornography is rampant. Prostitution is readily available. And let's not kid ourselves, both of which encourage, endorse, and support sexual abuse, assault, and rape. Brothers and sisters, where we are flirting with the slippery slope of immorality, we must run. Where we are consuming pornography, where we are objectifying women and girls, men and boys made in the image of the Almighty God, where we are pushing premarital and extramarital boundaries, where our minds are camping out in the realm of sexualized or violent fantasies, we must repent. We must run from sexual immorality and seek help. Just run from immorality and seek help. Brothers and sisters, if you are traveling the road of immorality, if you're traveling down this road, be it pornography or voyeurism or adultery or abuse, run. Run from sexual immorality and seek appropriate help. Share Satan's stronghold on you with a trusted brother or a trusted sister in Jesus Christ. Share with a member of our Caring Well team or ministry staff and let us come alongside you and help you receive the care that God desires for you. Run from immorality and seek help. Friends, let me be clear. The story that we're reading here, 2 Samuel chapter 13, is not just immorality. It's criminality. Amnon's behavior is criminal. It's punishable by death according to God's law. David, Bathsheba, Uriah, saga that gives rise to the utter evil and devastation of the royal family is more than immorality as well. David prayed upon Bathsheba. And now his eldest son, Amnon, preys upon and assaults the unsuspecting Tamar. Her vulnerability exploited. She's desperate for help. And Meadowbrook, there are many in our own community who are also desperate for help, who need help, who deserve protection from predators, who deserve compassionate care. And if they don't receive it from us, from the bride of Jesus Christ, where in the world will they receive it? You see, in contrast to a world that most often manipulates and exploits and ignores them. Let's follow our Savior's heart by running to them. Let's run to the hurt and vulnerable. Let's run to them and come alongside them and encourage them and love on them and care for them. For in our Father's eyes, they're precious. His eyes are upon them and our Savior's love includes them. And our Shepherd's example is one of deep compassion for them. And our King's commission includes Caring for them, a gift to the church and a window into the compassionate care and the healing hand of our God are the hurting and vulnerable among us. Let's run to them and care well for them for far too often we have not. Too often we have left them alone, perhaps Unaware of the rocky and dangerous road which they've traveled. See, sexual abuse is a betrayal of trust. 
It's undeniably wicked in God's eyes. And survivors of sexual abuse often experience unimaginable isolation. Unimaginable isolation. I've borrowed my sermon title from Justin and Lindsay Holcomb's book on hope and healing for victims of sexual assault. In fact, we have several copies of this book available today at the welcome desk. If this is a resource that would help you or a loved one, feel free to take one. If we run out, we'll, we'll get some more. Incredible resource. But that title comes not from the Holcombs originally, but it comes from the lips of Tamar herself. Right? In, in her frantic plea, she says to Amnon, after she has failed to convince him of the wicked nature of his own intentions here, she says, what about me? What about where could I get rid of my disgrace? The Holcombs define disgrace as the opposite of grace. Grace is one-way love, but sexual assault is one-way violence. They write, they say, disgrace destroys, causes pain, deforms, and wounds. It alienates and isolates. Disgrace makes you feel worthless, rejected, unwanted, and repulsive. You know, lust and hatred have more in common than lust and love. And Amnon's response proves his love for Tamar was really no love at all. In fact, the text is quite clear in verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. He hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. The tone has changed and this rapist now casts out the victim to fend for herself. She's been manipulated, traumatized, shamed, and now alone. She's facing social isolation and devastation. Doomed to desolation at no fault of her own. And so she expresses outwardly what she's feeling inwardly. Verse 19, she put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Signs of of grief. Signs of mourning, of brokenness. In verse 20, and Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house. A desolate woman. Sentenced to remain unmarried and childless. Ravished royalty. Regarded by her betrayer as worthless, silenced and shamed. A story too often repeated in our own day. Lies believed by victims and secrets contained by abusers and bystanders. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may it not be so here. May we make every effort to be a safe place and people to the hurting. So what does that mean for us? What does, it, what does it mean for us to cultivate a culture here at Meadowbrook that cares well for the hurting and the vulnerable? Well, first, it means we will not shame or shun. We will not shame and we will not shun. Far too often, victims of sexual abuse have been treated like Tamar. Led to believe that what happened to them was their Fault that they somehow brought this upon themselves. Many of us who've spent decades in church life have probably heard sermons on the David and Bathsheba event that borderlined that very idea. Well, what was she doing out there bathing in front? No. She was obeying the law of God. She was purifying herself according to God's word. 
We must not shame. We must not shun. Listen to me, friends. If you are a victim of sexual abuse or sexual assault, it is not your fault. You're not to blame. You're precious. You're loved. And you will be welcomed here. See, far too often the very community in which victims thought they'd be safe, be it in their own family or in their church family, became a place where they were made to feel ashamed, where they were not cherished and not protected, but instead a place where they were silenced. We will not be silent. We will not shame, we will not shun, and we will not be silent. We can't help but notice, we've got to notice in this story that Tamar didn't ask for any of this. She didn't want any of this. She didn't, she came to knead some dough and bake some bread for her ill brother. She didn't ask to be objectified. She didn't ask to be manipulated. She didn't ask to be assaulted and then ostracized by her own family, the very people who are supposed to love and to care for her. And by the way, notice that every character mentioned in this story is in the same family. This is indeed a family affair. Tamar turns to her brother Absalom for help. And yeah, he provides for her by allowing her to come into his own home. But he says, just keep your cool. It's a family situation. I'll handle it. Tamar turns to her father. The text says he was furious. But he does nothing. King David does nothing. The man who had stood up to Goliath does nothing to avenge his little girl. Perhaps King David feels powerless to act because he can't stomach the thought of his eldest son losing his royal position over a family affair. Or perhaps King David feels powerless to act because he knows he's guilty of a similar sin. Who's going to tell Tamar's story? Not Absalom. He Remains to himself. Says nothing good or bad to Amnon. The text says not King David. He's not going to tell it. Who's going to tell this story? Who's going to tell it? Do you know? God. God does. God says I'll tell it. He records it right here. He tells Samuel put put it right here. This is where it goes and. Chapter 13, I know it's bad PR for the royal family, for the family from which the Messiah will come, but God says, I'm going to tell it. And he doesn't tell us right here. We don't have commentary, so to speak, from God. He doesn't tell us exactly what he thinks about it. But all through the pages of Scripture, right, from cover to cover, we glean What God thinks about this. God tells us how clearly he feels about oppression and injustice. He hates it. God despises it. And he wants us to know it. We believe in a God who loves, cares, and listens to the vulnerable, to the oppressed, to the victims in church. So will we. So will we. What does it mean to care well for survivors of abuse? We will not shame or shun. We will not be silent. And we will love, care, support, and listen to survivors. We will love, care, support, and listen to survivors for the sake of our sisters in Christ. For the sake of our brothers in Christ. For the sake of Christ. As one leader has said, Jesus never protects his reputation by covering up sin. 
and neither will we. Brothers and sisters, if you've been wronged, if you're hurting, our Caring Well team desires to come alongside you, to love you, to care for you, to support you, and to listen to you. And I'll encourage you to take one of these little sheets of paper that says Caring Well. It has a number of resources available to you today. Number one certainly is that team, a team of folks that includes our ministerial staff, but many other lay leaders as well listed on that page that have gone through extended training on this particular subject. But beyond that, a workshop that begins this Wednesday night from 5.45 to 7 in our fellowship hall that's going to be led by Christian trained trauma therapists about this subject matter. Not just for survivors, but for all of us, for family members and friends of survivors and all of us so that we will know, we will better know what it means to care well for those that have gone down this road or who may go down this road. Beyond that, let me encourage you through a number of resources. There's some additional resources listed on that, some little booklets that are available to you on a stand at the welcome desk. Feel free to take whatever of those is helpful to you and we'll replenish it. Beyond that, let me just say, and this is, this is stated on this particular handout, but if you've gone down this road, if you have been affected by trauma through abuse, if you've been directly impacted by sexual abuse and you're part of our congregation, you're part of our church family, and perhaps you've been affected in the church, maybe you've lost trust in leaders of the church and you want help, know that as a church family, we will pay, we will pay for the first session of that help with a trained trauma therapist from any of three professional Christian counseling groups that are listed on that page. Church, we, we must care well. We're called to care well. If you've been wronged, I want you to know that this faith family stands ready to lean on Jesus with you, to trust Jesus beside you. You see, the question Tamar asked, where can I get rid of my disgrace, can only be answered in one place. Can only be answered at the foot of the cross. Where the one and only Son of God assumed the position of servant was mistreated, was neglected, was abused for our very sake. You see, Jesus entered our pain and shame to rid us of disgrace and to robe us in His righteousness. Jesus, our Savior and substitute, entered our pain. He entered our pain and our shame to rid us of disgrace and to robe us in His righteousness. Friends, there is healing And there is hope, there is complete healing, and there is eternal hope. But it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Christ, the one who entered our pain and shame, to rid us of disgrace and robe us in his righteousness. Have you taken your shame to Jesus? Friends, you can. You can do so today by crying out to Him, by turning to Him, by trusting in Him, by receiving the righteousness, the pure, spotless righteousness and robe of our Savior through His love extended to you. In just a moment, as we stand and sing, as we respond to the message of God's Word, if you've got questions about that or anything that we've discussed this morning, know that our Caring Well team stands ready in the lobby to 
to hear from you during this time or after the service, myself alike. I'll be down front as we stand and sing, but may we praise Jesus who gives us his righteousness. Father, we pray that we would rightly respond to the truths of your word. Father, we pray that we would rightly respond to Jesus, your Son, our Savior, the all-sufficient one, the perfectly righteous one who assumed the position of servant, Lord, who was abused and disgraced and shamed for our sake. Father, we pray that we would rightly respond to him, that we would glorify him, that we would put our faith in him. Lead us to do so. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.